You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. Hello. Welling Church is a vibrant community of Christians committed to glorifying God by discipling each generation to reach people for Christ. We would love to let you know about all the wonderful things happening at our church and invite you to join us for one of our church events. Our Sunday morning worship service is one of our favourite times to spend together and a perfect place for you to get involved. We meet every Sunday morning at 11am. During this time, we worship together through singing and life-relevant biblical preaching. We desire to help everyone take the next step in their faith journey and experience the life change that God can provide for them. During our Sunday morning worship service, we offer classes for the whole family. We have a creche available for every child who has not yet started primary school. Each week our desire is to not just watch the little ones, but to teach them Bible stories and songs as well. Our kids' church is a time to hear biblical messages in a fun-filled environment through songs, games, videos and crafts. It's also a brilliant time for everyone in primary school to grow in their relationship with God and build close friendships with others. Our youth service is for those who are in secondary school. Here we teach important principles from the Bible that every teenager needs to know. We also discuss what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. At the end of every Sunday morning service, we have a time of fellowship. Please feel free to hang around for a cup of coffee and a pastry while getting to know some of the many people who call Welling Church their home. Throughout the week, we meet up with our pastors and leaders for one-to-one personal discipleship and Bible study. Whether you have been a Christian for a short time, your whole life, or maybe thinking about becoming a Christian, we would love to sit down with you to open up the Bible and talk about why Jesus Christ is so important for your life. Every Friday night during school term, we meet for Adventures Clubs. We have two clubs, one for primary age and the other for secondary age kids, that include a variety of activities such as games, lessons from the Bible, worship, small groups, snacks, and even a tuck shop. Not only is Adventures a really fun time for everyone, but it's also a safe place where kids can take the next step in their faith journey. Throughout the year, we have men's and women's events to provide a place to meet new friends and be encouraged to live for Christ. We hope you can attend the next men's breakfast, ladies' brunch, men's curry night, ladies' fellowship dinner, or our monthly Bible study. Welling Church also has family fun nights. The whole night is a crazy game show where you and your family are not only the audience but also the contestants. We have fun songs with actions, a short but life-relevant Bible message and a snack afterwards. Whether you are single, retired or a family of ten, all are welcome to be a part of this fun-filled evening. We would love for you to join us for a night of fun and games. We look forward to you joining us here at Welling Church for one of our Sunday services or upcoming events. We pray that Welling Church will be a place that you can call home. See you soon. Let's welcome Justin and Rachel to the stage today in their ministry. So thanks for sharing that with us. It's good to get to know you a little bit through that. But I would like to get to know you guys a little bit more personally. 
and sort of know where you were born and raised, how you ended up together, how you ended up, you ended up in, in England. You, you obviously were born closer there. So, so uh, but l let me hear a little bit personal uh, stories about your guys' life. Yeah, uh, so I grew up in Kansas City, uh, in uh, Raytown uh, is where I grew up. And uh, my parents started going to church when they found out they were pregnant with me, got saved, got baptized. Uh, so I grew up in a Christian home, accepted Christ uh, when I was six. Uh, which was wonderful, uh, give my life to him. Ended up going to Bible school in Springfield uh, and you know, training to be a youth pastor. Uh, graduated, no one would hire me. Uh, I was desperate, so I sent an email to uh, Pastor Steve. And I was like, do you know anyone? anyone who would hire me. He says, uh, yeah, let me call my brother. Uh, and so his brother ended up hiring me. So I'm forever indebted uh, to Steve for that. Uh, so I went and worked in Topeka uh, for four years doing the youth and kids and young adults, and then ended up uh, God calling and directing me to London and landed there. And that's where I met Rachel. Uh, which is wonderful. Uh, turns out the reason I was single all those years is I was just fishing on the wrong side of the pond. And so, uh, yeah, moved over there, That's found her. Uh, Rachel grew up in Jersey, which is a small island between England and France. It's part of the UK, but it's its own, it's its own thing. And uh, she moved to London to be a nurse. And uh, yeah, that's how we all ended up in London. That's great. So tell us a little bit about your... Well, you got a couple kids too, so tell us about your kids, and then tell us what a day in the life of Justin and Rachel looks like in London. Uh, tell us what the people are like in London. Um, just love to know a little bit more about w your context, your culture that you live in there. So, right. but first, I want to hear about your kids. I can tell you about the kids. <laughs> um, we've got Annabelle, who's two and a half, and she's crazy. <laughs> um, she will probably roar at you. She likes dinosaurs. Um, she roars more than she talks. And then we have Elena who's eight months and she's really chilled. Um, the complete opposite to Annabelle. So yeah, that's the girls. That's good. It's good to have kids that are opposite. Let's balance it out a little bit. So, yeah, Justin. Tell uh, yeah, us so in in London, you know, it's it's a big commuter. You know, it's the same size as Kansas City, uh, but instead of the you know, 435 loop kind of being in the middle with suburbs on both sides, our loop, the M25, is on the outside, and so everything inside is Greater London. And instead of 1.3 million in Kansas City, there's 9.8 million. Uh, so just imagine an extra eight people everywhere someone is. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's crowded, but uh, and then the population doubles with everyone coming into work, or at least it used to before COVID, uh, with everyone taking trains in from all around England to work in London. Uh, the amazing thing with London is half of the country, or half of the city, was born in another country. So 50% born in another country, and our church represents that as well. If you were to come to our church on a Sunday, half the people in our church were born in another country than the United Kingdom. Uh, so, but because of that, because it is a lot of commuting, a lot of taking trains in and out, a typical day for most people in London is very busy commuting into work, commuting out to work. Uh, for us, you know, we have lots of small groups. Uh, you know, Rachel leads one on Tuesday mornings. You know, I teach one on Wednesday nights. I'm still teaching it on Wednesday nights via Zoom. So, uh, like, I'm doing that from America, which is amazing while I'm here. And uh, we have youth clubs on Fridays and, you know, church on Sunday. And so we watched church service this morning as we were getting dressed. They were wrapping up. Yeah. Very cool. So 
as you guys have done this, and, and how long you've been married now, I, I forget. Married just over three years. Over three years. So as you've been doing ministry together now for three years in London, what are things that you found to be encouragements to you in your ministry, the things that sort of get you up in the morning? And then what are things that, that we as a church can do to be an encouragement to you that you found churches in America do that, that obviously when you hear from them or you hear what's going on, it, it encourages your heart. So what's the ways that you're encouraged there? Yeah. yeah. So one of the biggest ways we're encouraged, we're doing a church revitalization. And so if church planning has uh, two sides, the one side is starting a brand new church from nothing. The other side of the coin is taking a dead church and bringing it back to life. And that's what we're doing. We're revitalizing. And so the church we came into, um, I started uh, pastoring there when we were dating. And, uh, you know, it, it had been down to eight people, closed for four years. And so what's the biggest encouragement to us is every Sunday walking into a building that you, four years ago was closed. Uh, and this last Sunday, last, last Sunday before we flew over here, uh, it was packed. We baptized eight people. Uh, which is just loads in England, uh, loads and loads of people to do eight uh, on a Sunday. And we filled up all the seats. There were, you know, well over 100 people. And that didn't exist four years ago. And it's amazing to see what God has done in such a short time. And in a place where everyone says God doesn't do things, to be reminded that God is not hindered uh, by geographical location. Uh, he can do what he wants where he wants. That's great, man. That, that is, it's encouraging for us to hear that, right? And, and encourages our soul. So how could we as a church then be an encouragement to you? What are the things that we can do to speak life into you? Even when you're over in London, what are the things that we can do to encourage you? Uh, one of the biggest things is, is praying for the lost people in our church. About a third of our church um, is lost. A third of our church is baby Christians. And the other third have been Christians like a couple years. And so because of that, uh, you know, we really are desperate for those who are lost. One of the things we've done, uh, and this is just a little visual aid, is we've got this book called Cornerstone. It's one-to-one -one discipleship to take someone from not knowing who Jesus is to knowing who Jesus is. So I call it Discipleship 0.5 because you get to the end of it and you accept Christ, uh, not start. Right now there are 11 people, 11 people going through this that are lost. Please, please, please pray for them. Uh, my hope is that when they finish this, and they're all at different points, there's 10 sessions, takes about 10 weeks if you don't take any breaks. Uh, but people in our church are leading them through this. Uh, we've had uh, five people complete it. Uh, four have accepted Christ. One is a 15-year-old girl, and she's 95% there. And so my other prayer uh, that you guys could be praying for is she gets there by the time we get back at Christmas. Well, let's pray for them right now and pray for these requests that Justin's brought up. God... You know the names of each one of these people that Justin has just talked about. The 11 and the, the, the one that is 95% there, that 15-year-old girl. Although they could speak their names, you know their names. And Lord, we are praying that you would draw them to yourself that you would help them to put their faith and trust in you alone. Bring, break down any barriers, Lord, that would keep them from taking that step of faith. I thank you, Lord, for Justin and Rachel. Thank you for their love for you, their love for the people of London. Thank you for the praise of this church that was four years ago, basically dead, four people, 
and now to hear about eight baptisms this last Sunday and 100 people there. Lord, we give you the credit and the glory for that. And my prayer is that you would continue to do exceptionally more than even what Justin or Tarl and their, their team could, could imagine. I pray that you would increase their tribe, that you would increase their numbers of people coming to know you and coming to follow you. I pray for their family, what is a young family, newly married, all that comes with challenges as well. And so I pray for protection over Justin and Rachel's marriage. I pray for wisdom for them as they raise their girls, that you would give them discernment to raise each one in a way that is pleasing to you. I thank you, Lord, now for the opportunity to hear from Justin and to hear the word from your word that you have given him. And I pray that we would come with hearts that just say, here we are, Lord, speak to us through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Justin, you're All right. Me and Rachel, get out of your way. Uh, well, it's such a privilege to be here with you guys this morning, uh, and especially because it's in Kansas City. Uh, I love getting to come back to my hometown. I love getting to see churches uh, telling people about Jesus and the place I grew up. And it's reassuring to know that when I left and went to London, uh, that there are still people here uh, telling my family, uh, my friends, uh, about Jesus Christ. And so thank you guys so much for that. You've been uh, faithfully uh, supporting through prayer and finances uh, ever since I've been there. Almost five years I've been in London. It's amazing how quickly time goes uh, through all of those things. But today, you know, we've talked a little bit about the exciting things. I moved to London, found my wife. That's a, you know, we can just call it a day there, like, you know, success. We've got uh, 34 people that accepted Christ as their savior uh, uh, since we opened our church. 33 people have been baptized. The amazing thing is half of those baptisms are people who got saved at another church years ago, but their church either wouldn't baptize because that's only for babies uh, or just doesn't do baptisms full stop. Uh, and so they were kept from taking that next step in their faith journey, which is just mind-blowing to me. Uh, and so we're so thrilled and thankful to be able uh, to be a part of those things. But before we get into all that, I'd love to really kind of take a step back and, and, and look at this idea of missions, right? Because the reality is, not that many years ago, I was where you were at. I was a kid in Kansas City, sitting in a church, learning about missions, and to me, that's what it was. It was just, you know, I looked forward to it every year. Uh, the people come in and they tell the stories of you know, these places in the world that I could only imagine what they were like. And it's like, well, what do we do with missions? You know, what, what, what's the purpose? What, what do you do with your life when it comes to missions? And this is really what I kind of wanted to share a little bit about because, uh, you know, I feel like I relate to you more than I do most churches because uh, you're all from Kansas City. And you're in a church just like mine. You know, growing up, uh, you know, south of the river, the church started going to Abundant Life. It was a very small church. Uh, a lot of connections with Antioch through the years. We went to camp all the time. And I recognized several uh, people here that were camp counselors from when I was like 12, uh, which is just amazing that I can remember uh, when I was 12. Uh, but all these things, there's loads of great connections. Uh, but I think the one thing that connects uh, me to this church the most is missions. Uh, you supported my parents when they were missionaries in El Salvador. Uh, but not only that, you, this church has always had the same heartbeat that my church that I went to had for missions. Getting the story of Jesus, the gospel, around the world. 
And today, I hope you've had a chance to meet with these other missionaries, the Longs, dear friends of ours, dear, dear friends. They did language school in France before they moved to Madagascar. I went over and visited them in October for their little half-term break, spent a week, uh, you know, uh, climbed the Eiffel Tower, uh, Phil and I, uh, you know, like, man, because we were too cheap to pay for the lift, so we took the stairs. Uh, and then uh, they came and visited, Rachel and I, in England, uh, right before they moved to Madagascar. They had, like, two weeks to do some sightseeing, and so took them around. That was amazing. Uh, the Gandhis, Keith Gandhi, uh, what a great mentor. He keeps talking about how he's kind of writing the book on how to do missions in Europe. Well, if he's writing it, I'm reading it. Uh, anything he says to do, I'm down for. And I connect with him, at least in person, uh, once a year, uh, a couple times virtually as well. And these are dear friends. Uh, and, and doing missions, getting the gospel. And so today, if I could kind of simplify our, our sermon down, that way if you get lost, you can kind of remember where we're at. It would simply be this. Missions is taking the light of Christ into the darkness. Missions is taking the light of Christ into the darkness. Moving to London, I expected it to be spiritually dark. But I did not anticipate how dark it gets spiritually in Europe. I just didn't get it. And you almost have to go there to experience, like I don't even know how to describe to you how dark it gets. Growing up as a kid, we used to go down to uh, Silver Dollar City. And one of my favorite things to do was the cave tour where they take you in there and they turn all the lights off. And it's like, you've never experienced blackness until you go in one of those caves. And maybe you've done that, or maybe you've been in a cave like that. I know there's like, there's more, you know, natural storage caves in Kansas City than anywhere else in the world, which is amazing. But it's like, when you be in that cave, darkness, that's what it feels like going into London. Spiritually, just walking into darkness. And it's not just London. There's neighborhoods around America. There, there, there's cities around the world. And what do we do with that? What do we do with this spiritual darkness that exists in the world today? Well, Jesus gives us hopefully a really great insight to what we do with that. If you got your Bible, open to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, the begin we're going to look at verses 13 through 16, just a few verses that I think really address this. Uh, the first verse kind of giving us a setting setting the scene for the theme, and then we jump into that. But if you've got your Bible, uh, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 13. Uh, Jesus says this at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Uh, starting off this verse, Jesus, he gives two things for us to relate to. He says, hey, you are the salt of the earth. And you are the light of the world. Uh, this verse 13 never meant as much to me until I moved uh, to London and I went to my church. Uh, watching that video, uh, you know, always amazed me. That video, we filmed all that uh, two years ago before COVID. We haven't had time to make an updated one of what's going on in our church. But that was a promo we did for, uh, we did six Sundays in a row where we did a barbecue 
which this is going to be really offensive. I apologize. In, in Britain, barbecue means hot dogs. <laughs> I've tried explaining them what American barbecue is, and they don't get it. Uh, but we gave hot dogs, and then we watched a Disney film. But before the Disney film, we did trailers. And so one of the trailers was the one you watched. It was a promo for our church. The second trailer was uh, what the next video for next week was to invite him to come back next week you know whatever the thing was you know it was you know uh, finding Nemo or one of these things and then the last one was a little three minute um, gospel presentation about who is Jesus and we did a new one of those every single week uh, and so, but the crazy thing is I'm watching this. We've done a lot of work to our building. That building looks really old. <laughs> We've done a lot of painting. Uh, my dad was over in February and he helped me hang a new projector and screen in our back hall. And so we've done a lot of work through it. But just four years before that, the church was closed. They closed the building for four years. Uh, those who were left met in a house. And since, you know, really the 60s, the church has kind of been spiraling into nothingness. And what's interesting, when you see here in verse 13, when Jesus says, hey, you are the salt of the earth, then he says this, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? That's what my church in London had become. It become salt of the earth that had lost its taste. And a lot of it was due to leadership, being bad, being wicked, being sinful. And all of this came to light when myself and the other missionary family, the Reeves, joined, you know, we had to bring the police in. You know, it was very serious things that we had to get involved with of past sins that were very unrepentant for. Uh, then that leadership left, uh, you know, the church took off. But the sad thing is, is what's happening at our church, this, this slowly fading into nothing, is happening to hundreds and hundreds of churches across London. A place that used to be the missionary sending capital of the world has lost its taste. It's lost its saltiness. You know, what Jesus is talking about here uh, is very interesting because salt can't lose its taste. That's impossible. Salt stays salt. It's a, it's a, it's a chemical uh, thing. It can't actually lose its taste. Uh, but salt from the Dead Sea, uh, if it was corrupted with other organisms, those organisms, that corruption could break down the chemical balance of salt and would literally make it worthless. It would actually make it go bad. It's one of the only places in the world where salt can lose its saltiness uh, is at the Dead Sea. But what Jesus is talking about here is talking about effectiveness. You know, it, it, you need to, we need to be effective in spreading the gospel. Why? Because when you're no longer effective, you're only good for one thing. You know, salt's good for loads of things. It's good for healing wounds. It's good for seasoning food. It's good for preserving. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on. We can use salt for loads and loads of wonderful things. But when it's lost its saltiness, it's good for nothing. This was where our church was at. When I showed up, our church was in this place where it had lost everything. And they were at a crucial point. They didn't really make it known to us. But once I got there, I was reading back through past business meeting minutes. And literally four months before we came, they had a business meeting where they voted, do we close this church and give the building away? Or do we ask for help? Thankfully, those few people left 
about eight of them and a few elderly people who were unable to attend, voted to not close. They voted to go ask for help. Unfortunately, uh, because these weren't very nice people, no one wanted to help them. Uh, and the only people who were willing to help them were two gullible Americans who didn't know the history and didn't know the problems and the wickedness and the sin that was involved. But here we came in, let's do this. And so we came and, you know, we met with them at their house and said, hey, let's move back into the building. And we had a meet in this back hall, which was super small. It's the size of this stage. Uh, and that's, that's where we, we met while we could renovate uh, the main sanctuary. And we opened that up and we had a big grand reopening. It was really exciting. And God began to do. And God began to do and began inviting people, presenting the gospel, began preaching clearly God's word. And God began to bless and he began to bless and he began to bless. And we slowly started things happening. Uh, the thing that had made the salt lose its saltiness in this church was sin. We started, that all came to light. And we started dealing with that sin. Uh, those people that were involved, the former leadership, unrepentant, we had to ask them to leave and they left and it's just explosions of growth. Explosions. And going through that whole process and, and really looking back on it now, because it feels like it was 10 years ago, uh, it was such a painful thing. We've kind of, you know, regressed that to the back of our minds. But talking with Tarl, the other missionary, and myself, it's like, man, we, we are in awe of the sovereignty of God. That God, who is in charge of all of these things and orchestrating all of these things, brings two Americans who didn't even know each other together to come to this church to deal with the sin. Why? So this church could become a bright light again for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we do that and we begin to see the church grow. And, and really what we've seen happening is uh, this next passage, verse 14, this is really what we see our church, a church that did not have a light, all of a sudden has a light again. And it says this in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. The amazing thing was, is when we got back into this building, we were this little church, you know, for the last 20 years, they hadn't had any children on a Sunday, not a single child on a Sunday. Uh, the other missionary, he's got three kids. They were the first kids 20 years. And so we had kids church. And so the way it worked uh, for those first few months is uh, Tara and I would preach every other week. On the off week, I would teach kids church because they didn't want to listen to their mom every week. Uh, you know, they wanted some variety. Uh, and so we do that. And we needed something if we had guests show up with kids. But the amazing thing was, it's like we put the light back in this building. And I know the building doesn't matter, uh, but it was so symbolic. We, we literally turned the lights back on. When we came inside, we opened up God's word once again inside and people started coming. Why? Because a, a city on a hill, the light, you can't hide it. And the amazing thing was people were coming to our church that we don't even know how they got there. I'll never forget, it was our, it was our second Sunday uh, that we were meeting back in the church. I had missed the first one because I was helping Rachel uh, move flats. Uh, and we, we purposely invited some friends to come so there'd be guests there. But the second Sunday, we didn't have anyone else to invite. Uh, you know? and so, uh, but lo and behold, two people showed up, two different families that were guests. And I'm like, how did you know this church existed? And they're like, I don't know, we just came. Like, what do you mean you just came? It's been closed for like four years. You just showed up? They're like, yeah. One guy, uh, I love him. His name's Paul. Uh, he is a wonderful old gentleman uh, from Nigeria. And he came. And I'm like, why'd you come? He goes, I've been passing this church uh, for uh, two years now. 
And every time I pass, uh, God's told me to come and I've just said no. And today I finally said yes. I'm like, do you realize if you would have come in the last two years, there would have been no one here? He's like, no. Uh, and it was amazing. He came, he showed up. Uh, the sad thing is he's moved to America. And so he's no longer with our church, but he goes to Mark Dever's church in uh, Washington, D.C., writes a lot of uh, great books, uh, nine Mark books. Uh, but he just showed up. And we get that all the time, people just coming out of the blue. And the only thing I can pin it to, because there are people who come that we invite, but these people just show up out of anywhere. Well, how did they come? Well, God invited them. And the only thing I can point it to is there's a light in Welling, our part of London, that's shining again. That's shining again. Uh, verse 15 says this, you know, hey, you know, a city, you can't ignore it. It says this, nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a stand so that it gives light to all the house. You know, when, when you have a light, you don't hide it. And this is the thing that I've noticed in London. Uh, I've probably only visited about 50 churches. But a lot of churches, the reason they're struggling is because they're hiding their light. This, this light of Christ that shines in them. You know, what's interesting in this passage, he says, you are the light of the world. Uh, but in John 8, do you know what Jesus says there? He says, I'm the light of the world. Well, how, how can Jesus be the light and we be the light? Well, it's very simple, right? Jesus lives inside of us. He's the light that eliminates out of us. And the thing that we never want to do is we never want to be a Christian who has this light shining through us and we hide it. You know, the reality is the workplace you go to, the neighborhood you live in, you may be the only light on the street. You may be the only light at the office. And what a shame it would be to hide the light. And I can't tell you how many churches I've been to where, where you hide the light. Uh, there was one church Tarl and I visited. It's a little country church. Uh, and we got there and uh, everyone stopped talking as soon as we walked in the door. They all turned their head and just stared at us. It's like one of those Westerns uh, when, you know, the, someone new comes into the saloon and every, you know, the piano stops and everyone just turns. And I was like, we didn't even know what to do. And so, you know, we're just, we just stared back, you know, it's like they hadn't had a guest come in their building in years. They had no clue what to do with these things. Why? Because they've been hiding their light. Uh, verse 16, he goes on, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that may see your good works and give glory to your father who's in heaven. We have to let our light shine. What is missions? Missions is taking the light of Christ into the darkness. This is the amazing thing. You know, for me going to London, what was I doing? I was taking the light of Christ that was inside of me to a place that was dark and shining it. And the amazing thing through our church is, you know, now it's thriving, it's growing, and people are inviting friends and they're inviting family. Uh, we had one uh, uh, couple come to our, our, hear about our church. They went to another church. It's actually the place that Rachel and I got married in. Uh, they heard about, we were doing a family fun night, and you saw the videos of the, you know, putting the peanut butter on the face and all this stuff. Well, they sent their kids to that because their kids hate church. Uh, and so their kids came, and they're older. They're, they were teenagers uh, and young adults. They have four kids. Uh, well, all, all their kids have been saved and baptized in our church. And what was amazing is that this couple has watched all their kids come to Christ. And up to our church opening up, there was no hope of that ever happening. It, it, was, a, it was a prayer that they prayed every day 
with no real hope of God doing anything about it. Another amazing thing is, uh, again, we get people all the time. We had, we had a guy this summer, he was on, he was on a bus, uh, one of those double-decker buses, sitting on it, come back from work. And he looked out the window and he saw our church. And there's something inside of him said, you need to go there. And so he came to our church. And his life's been forever changed. And I, I want to show you his testimony video. Uh, we just baptized him last Sunday. But if you guys play that, that video for me. Hi, my name is Adam. And my life before Jesus, to be quite honest, wasn't horrendous, nor was it really good. Um, I wrote a lot of the rules to my life myself. And this meant that, if I'm honest, it was, I did exactly what I wanted to do. And having done that for a number of years, I realized that at the end of it all, there was a hole which I hadn't quite filled. I came to know about Jesus through watching a series of lectures on YouTube by a Canadian psychologist. And I thought, hang on, if this chap is intelligent, but also acknowledges Christ, if I perceive myself to be reasonably intelligent, why can't I do the same? And this sent me on a two or three year quest to, to know Christ and to at least intellectually understand it. Um, at university, I went to an alpha course and strangely I thought I'd missed the course, but when I walked past the church another day, I realized the course was, was on a different date. And then from there, I engaged minimally with, with scripture until I came to Welling, wherein I thought I probably ought to go to a church. And on my way to work at um, Lewisham Hospital, I saw this church and, and I thought, well, I ought to go there. I decided to believe in Jesus because there wasn't anything else that was, that seemed to be of, of greater value than that. Um, I had these images when I was praying of myself formerly in the driving seat of a car and then it's switching to Christ and this led me to want to learn more about Christ through the Cornerstone um, program here at, at Welling Church and through this I learned what Christ had done, what the scripture had said about Christ up until a point where I really thought it was irrefutable. Um, I think there's a really poignant part in Cornerstone where you realise that you can't really deny the existence of Jesus and if you can, that's nonsensical, um, but if you acknowledge Jesus and then don't acknowledge his associated works, then that to me also didn't quite make sense. So it was with Terry that I gave my life to Christ. After I gave my life to Jesus, everything was different. From that first Sunday, um, the worship we would sing in church felt more like singing the national anthem at a football match. The same passion and energy was, was coming out in my voice. And since that day forth, my life has just got better every day. Today I'm getting baptised because what the Bible tells me to do. And having previously written my own, own rules for life, I'm now obeying God's rules for my life. Upon your profession of faith, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death, and raised to walk. That's Adam. Uh, why, why do missions? Uh, well, we do missions uh, because of Adam. You know, I hate to think what would happen if never went to London, if I would have stayed in Topeka 
and we never took this church that was dying and, and reopened it back up. He, he may never have found Christ. You know, and what's amazing, he was the first person to go through this Cornerstone book. Uh, since then, uh, we've had uh, four others complete it. Uh, three of them have given their life to Christ. One girl, uh, she's 15, she's 95% of the way there. And so I'm praying she gets through. There's 11 people right now working through who is Jesus. The number one reason people don't believe in God in London is because they never heard of him. They don't know who Jesus is. The Bible's free. You can download it on your phone. But they've, but they've never picked it up. They've never had anyone guide them. They've never had anyone show them these things. Missions is taking the light of Christ into the darkness. So what does that do for you? Because it's easy for me, right? I'm going to London. I'm there. I am the light in London. But what do you do when you're here in Kansas City? How do you help get the light in other places? And this is where, like, maybe for someone here, it is going. Whether it's like a short term for a week on a mission trip to go take the light somewhere else, to tell the story of Jesus. Maybe uh, for you, it, it's going full time. Saying, yeah, I'm willing to quit my job, sell my house, move to the other side of the world, see what happens. For a lot of us, the best way we can get involved in missions is to give. You know, let's invest in getting the gospel. You know, like, how, like who wouldn't invest in that? Who wouldn't want to pay something to get the light somewhere else? You know, the reality is there's a reason most missionaries in England aren't in London. Because London's the third most expensive city in the world to live in. But yet, there's 9.8 million people there who need to hear about Jesus. We have to get the light in the darkness. Missions is taking the light of Christ in the darkness. And that, that, that's all of our responsibility. We all have to help with that. And if you can't go, then send. Send as many people as you can. The other way is to pray. Man, we, we've got to be in prayer for these people. There are more people just like Adam in London waiting for someone to just sit down and tell them. And it didn't take much. Adam sat down. He made it to lesson four of 10. Uh, and, you know, he's like, I got to accept Christ. The guy that was leading them, I was very, I was very uh, strict in my teaching of how, taking up people. Now, you know, don't let anyone just quickly, easy believe. Make them work, learn. They need to know all these verses. And so he's like, no, I think you should wait. You know, you don't need to accept Christ now. You need to wait. You need to get to the end. You know, we got to learn. There's a lot more to learn. Adam's just bawling. He's like, I'm going to die and go to hell. Why are you going to let me die? go to hell and you know and he's like all right fine let you know you can accept Christ you know you don't have to cry and they did they spent another two hours they skipped all the way to the end of the last session where it talks about making a decision takes you through like all the Romans road stuff uh, he prayed and accepted Christ uh, but when it comes to us if you've accepted Christ as your savior you have something inside of you a light and we have to let this shine in the darkness we have a great gift. We have a great gift. And we don't want to be one of those Christians that just keeps it to ourselves. If you found salvation, wouldn't you want to give this away to someone else? Uh, a bright light. The amazing thing is this. We get our church going. 
Uh, and, you know, the building's just a building. There, there's, there's, there's really nothing to it. Uh, but then, all of a sudden, you put some Christians in the building. And there's something in there. You see, it, it's the Christians who make up the church. And as the church begins to grow and people begin to get saved, uh, that, you know, the light begins to get brighter. And, 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 and you just can't notice it. People can't help but see that there's something going on here. In a world of darkness, Jesus left you to be the light. So, so what will you do with the light that Christ has given you? What will you do with it? Yeah, I love this. As our church begins to grow, it just gets brighter and brighter and brighter. You know, and there's loads of great passages. You can go to Philippians, you can go to Ephesians, and Paul really talks about this being a light. But the amazing thing is, is, you know, individually, we're just little lights. But collectively, we're a lot of lights. Uh, according to the box, there's like 46 LEDs in there. Such a random number, 46. But there's 46 LEDs. This is a very bright light. You shouldn't look at this. You know, you're going to see spots. Um, but the thing is, is you can't help but look at it. Why? The light draws your attention to it. And if you can imagine being in a place where there was no other light, you would notice this. This is why missions is important. This is why giving to missions is so important. Because when you give money to missions, you are helping someone take this into darkness. When you gave, sent money to me, man, I'm so, I, I don't deserve that. But you helped me go to London. And I'm forever grateful because I found my wife. But I'm also forever grateful for people like Adam who found out about Jesus. And Adam's just one 34 people who found Christ thus far. And I hope he's the beginning of the end. The amazing thing about Adam is he, he loves this Cornerstone book so much. He, he accepted Christ at session four. He finished the whole thing because, uh, you know, he's not a quitter. Uh, and I love that about him. He's from Liverpool. His accent's really thick. You probably didn't even understand half of what he said. Uh, but now he's at work. He works at a hospital. He's a physio. He's telling everyone about this. And he's going back through and he's like telling them all these verses. He's quoting all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, I've got this Muslim friend and this Hindu friend. And I've got this, uh, you know, this person who thinks they're Christian and they're not. And I'm just laughing because he's been a Christian a whopping like three months. Uh, you know, and he's, he's figured all these things out. But he's telling everyone. Why? Because he's got a light inside of him. And he can't help but let it shine. And so my challenge for you is this. If missions is taking the light into darkness, what are you doing with the light inside of you? Are you the light on your street? If your street's darkness, do they notice your family? At work, do they notice you? And, and are you helping get the light in places you just can't go? The sad thing in London, we just need more missionaries. In London, we need more pastors. In London, we need more churches. We need more lights. Why? Because the lights in London burned out a long time ago. And we need to put them back. And we can do that one person at a time. One person at a time. We can lead people to Christ.
So I hope you join in together as a church to be a bright light here in Gladstone. But I also hope you join together in sending the light around the world. Because that would be an amazing thing. You will change someone's life forever. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so, so much uh, for giving us eternal life. And we thank you so much for making it so clear that we are the light of the world. Lord, may we be people who allow our light to shine in a way that it's never shined before. Lord, may we be a, a group of Christians that are, are focused on getting the light and darkness. Lord, may this generation be the generation that eliminates all of the darkness in this world. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a church in every neighborhood, in every place, so that there would be no more walking in darkness. There would be no more excuse of I just never heard of Jesus. Lord, may Antioch be a gospel preaching and a gospel sending church. Help them be the best lights pointing people to Jesus that they can be. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.